Before we start this week's podcast, let's thank our amazing sponsor this week, Syncfusion. Yes, that's right. Syncfusion, the company that we've been talking about for the last 18 years. Syncfusion builds the world's best UI component suite for no matter what you're building, whether it's web, desktop, mobile apps, or so much more. And it doesn't matter what you're building with, whether it's Blazor, Angular, React, JavaScript, Vue, Dynamaui, Flutter, Xamarin, UWP, JavaScript stuff, WinForms, WPF, they got you covered. They got you covered so much that they have hundreds of hundreds of components, Excel processing, PDF processing, Word, PowerPoint, and so much more powerful power like analytics and, and, and BI integration that you can get into your applications is lovely. I use Syncfusion in my personal apps, and I even have a case study on the Syncfusion websites because I love them so much, and I integrate them into my Animal Crossing app back in the day. If you're interested in supercharging your applications with a beautiful UI suite, Check out syncfusion.com forward slash emerge conflict. That's syncfusion.com forward slash emerge conflict to learn more about Syncfusion's awesome controls and so much more. Thanks, Syncfusion, for sponsoring this week's pod. All right, Frank, here we go. Let's get into it. All right. So um, many people may be wondering uh, this is the week after Ignite, this is the week after .NET Conf. Mm-hmm. And we all these things are true are not talking about it at all this week. Why is that, Frank? Uh, that's because we're doing the time warp thing uh, where everything you just said was a complete lie. You're lying to people, James. You're just lying. It's terrible. I'm here to speak the truth. The truth is we're recording before before the conference because James has to go gallivanting around the world because that is what James does. I am out on holiday. I'm officially disconnected from the internet and the world. Um, and I'm very, very far, far, far away into the future, in fact, um, days into the future. So I'm all over the place. And I'll be back and forth into different places, not, you know, not not transferring over the time, the international dateline too many times, but at least once. And uh, yeah, I'm just gone for a while. And we'll be back very close to when this podcast will be out. Uh, however, Don at Conf will be over, and we record things usually on a Tuesday, which would have been perfect for the podcast because we could have put it out after all this amazing stuff that was announced. But I don't know what's announced at all. I mean, obviously, <laughs> I do because I was um, played a big part in the keynote, which I'm super excited for. And if Lying you watch again. this, the Don at Conf keynote, what a banger. I'm just saying, John Galloway, <laughs> me, whole team, amazing people, Damien, Safia, Dan, Glenn, Fowler. Maria, all the people, oh my goodness, are absolutely stunning. Here's the best keynote to keynote ever. If you missed the keynote, it's the best keynote ever, Frank, that I've ever seen at a .com. Speaking of missing keynotes, uh, how early does future Frank have to wake up to catch this thing? Because I think Microsoft is notorious for their early keynotes from the the West Coast standpoint. Yes, the .NET Conf keynote, seeing that this had already happened, so people already watched it live, uh, happens at 8 o'clock in the morning. On Tuesday. So we all know when we missed it. That's when we yeah. all slept into 10. We're like, oh, <laughs> it was at 8. This, this D- is your, your past news announcement. <laughs> Day two, funnily enough, starts at 9 o'clock, which is an, an okay time to actually start a conference. So <laughs> uh, yeah, the, the .NET Conf agenda is fantastic. All those videos are obviously on demand on the .NET YouTube. Go subscribe, like, do all this stuff. I will say this, though. Um, an amazing team over there on the .NET team, which happens to be on the community side, my team just put out um, in collaboration with the PMs and engineers and cloud advocates, uh, eight brand new beginner series. And I recorded a Blazor hybrid one, Frank. So brand <laughs> new beginner series. You can go to dot, dot net, D-O-T, dot net forward slash videos. Those are all the beginner videos and there's tons of them. we got a new dot net 
Donette C Sharp with his Scott Hanselman and David Fowler. What? <laughs> Teaching you C Sharp? Shut up. We got uh, machine learning and AI with .NET. .NET IoT upgrading your applications. A Blazor hybrid. C Sharp and .NET with Visual Studio. NuGet package management. VS Code in C Sharp. What? And even more coming along the way. So, anyways. Go check that stuff out if you haven't yet. Big shout out to Katie and Jamie and my team for crushing it. I just love my team. We're just Conf is like the mecca, right? Because like Jeff has a big part. The whole team has a big part. It's like all hands on deck. The PMs, engineers, everyone's coming together. Frank, the whole community, right? We got the 24-hour stream of goodness. Anyways, that all happened. <laughs> and I hope that you all enjoyed it. Um, I cannot tell you from the inside how much effort goes into this thing. It's wild. Anyways, <laughs> um, did you enjoy well, it? Was it a great conference for you, Frank? Future Frank uh, definitely knows when the conference happens because his YouTube subscriptions, I'm an old man, so I go to the subscriptions uh, tab in the YouTube app, mm-hmm. and uh, that gets flooded with, is it going to be purple or was it, is it purple or blue? I wonder if Future Frank is already knowing that answer, but yeah, I, I love getting that set of YouTube videos because then I can just peruse them. At my own leisure. I wonder how many I will have gotten through by the time people are listening <laughs> to this. Uh, yeah, I saw actually on the tweeters that you've become a Blazor hybrid man. Oh, it's the web. It's the web. You just can't avoid it. And that Blazor is pretty sweet. So it's, but, but it is sad to me. I, I will make you a native developer again, but I, I will let you enjoy your Blazor hybrid lifestyle for now. Without too Let much me reiterate. <laughs> Let me reiterate multiple times in every Blazor hybrid video that I mentioned and I've done. I'm not a web developer, right? This is not my day <laughs> job. However, I love the ability of the blendability. And my real goal is this, is that for me as a native client developer, that's my jam. That's what I'm going to continue to do. However, there are many, 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 many web developers in the world. And I want them to come into the .NET MAUI well, ecosystem slowly and surely, if that even means Blazor hybrid or hybrid web views or anything like that, Frank. Complete side tangent, because I actually have absolutely no idea where we're going with all this. Um, It is kind of nice integrating web technologies into apps, I just have to say. Like um, for the past two days, I've been struggling with a list view. And I'm like, it's just not behaving the way I want. I just can't. And I can't get the stuff into it that I want to get into it and all this stuff. And so I just had a moment and I'm like, what if I take that list view and make it a web view instead and just good. shove everything into HTML and make it render it? Because you know what? It's pretty darn good at that rendering thing. Mm-hmm. And uh, I haven't done it, but I keep thinking I'm like, every, every time I'm like messing with like this weird template code, I'm like, maybe I should just convert this to a web view. Maybe I should just convert this yeah. to a web view. So I actually can't make too much fun of the Blazor world. Plus, it's a good app model. So good for that. One one thing that the web has gotten really good at is like displaying a whole bunch of data in a bunch of really unique, fun ways. You know, in collect UI collection view went really far, right? In the recycler view and all these things over in the world of Android. However, there's a lot of work. And the nice thing <laughs> is that with the web, there's just kind of a lot of stuff out there. You want a waterfall view, you want this flex layout, right? Like there's well, I guess flex view or flex box. There's flex layout in 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 Donnie Maui, but like mm-hmm. also just like Flex box is probably used for 10 billion years. Like it'd be easy to get super highly customized stuff, you know, like across the board that's out there for the web. You can easily get the data in there. And then when you click on something, just pop back over to your native view. Right. So I don't know. It's not too bad. 
scrolling. It actually it came down to scrolling for me. Hmm. Like I I hate websites I, uh, that scroll jack. You know they override the scroll behavior with JavaScript. Hmm. But as an app developer, I'm like, gosh, I really want to take control of that scroller. And I'm like, can't really do it with the native controls, but I know I can do it with JavaScript because browsers are terrible and are awesome. I don't know which word to use. Awesomely terrible. And so I'm like, hmm, scroll behavior. It could be achieved with the HTMLs. Yeah. I go back and forth, to be honest with you. The biggest issue I have is CSS. I just, I'm, you know, one day I'll understand it and I'll get into it. I'm not even good at styling on mobile and desktop very good but however you just apply defaults kind of like take cares of itself you know but css and media selectors and this i'm like yeah i don't know seems complicated so that's my that's my downfall to the web to be honest with you it's not so bad but like the web has gotten into um the programmable css uh the scss uh i can't even think of its name i'm that much not a web developer sorry sass yeah, maybe. That sounds about right. Um, everyone's rolling their eyes <laughs> listening to this. <laughs> um, but I don't know. I, I've actually, I've been a web developer since the 90s. I like CSS. I know CSS. I can write CSS. So I actually don't. Uh, I would say one of the benefits also of an HTML view in your app is CSS. Because, oh my God, actually go read the spec on what you can do with orders and fill patterns on <laughs> controls and it's it's freaky it's freaky how much styling you can add and there's um css uh, animations built in too which is wild to do which is just bananas in general so it's it's not that i don't like css it's just that i don't know it right because i don't do a lot of web work so like i know that there's a lot of power there in css so that's my struggle though that's like me i'm I'm already when I go into HTML, I'm like, I'm okay with it. You're not going to do okay some stuff, but some of the advanced stuff, I'm like, I don't know. But then when it comes to CSS, it's like, whoa, Nelly. You know, it's like, like I'm going way back in time where I just am a super day one developer, basically. And that's my issue yeah. that I have, Frank. Yeah. I, I can write like CSS 1.0 off the top of my head, but for any of the, like I was just mentioning, like multiple borders or multiple fill patterns or generative CSS or like mm. really controlling the selector hierarchy with required parents and things like that, that's when I have the uh, MDN, MDN, whatever, Mozilla documentation up because, yeah. I've been doing it since the 90s, but who can remember that stuff? The syntax is so weird. But yeah, the animations, implicit, some are implicit. Yeah. Pretty cool. Okay, we got two other topics. Now that we've gone into Blazor Hybrid World, go check it out. <laughs> go check out my series. I'll put it in the show notes. Second thing, um, did you watch any of the OpenAI developer days, Frank? Oh, I did. Um, I don't know how, like I caught it like day of, but fortunately the cat wakes me up at 5 a.m. every day. So I was able to wait three hours and still catch her. I actually, it was, I forget what time it was, but uh, it was quite interesting. Um, I'm working on releasing an AI app and so I'm very much in this AI world. And I think I want to do a whole nother AI episode in the future. But uh, I absolutely did. The announcements were pretty cool, um, cheaper, faster, and a new app store, James, 
Which which one's yeah. more interesting to you, cheaper, faster, or App Store? <laughs> Break it all down for me, because you know what? I know nothing about any of it because I was so oh, busy okay. with .dot com stuff. I literally was like, mm-hmm. everyone in our chat's like, "It's happening," and I was like, "I don't got time for this." And then like I didn't even watch the OpenAI Dev Day in five minute thing or whatever, like the Verge does. Yeah. I was just like, I'm too busy. I, I'm got I got stuff going on. So I was like, I got oh, Frank okay. Kruger to break it down for me. So why well, don't have the ten, nine minutes, ten minutes? Go, <laughs> let's do this. Oh, I can totally do it. I can totally do it. Oh, right, everyone, the future AI. Okay, that's my business speak part. Uh, I'm going to get all the numbers wrong here. So everyone, go watch the real presentation and get the exact numbers here. But you've all heard of GPT four. Well, let me introduce you to its little cousin, big cousin. GPT-4, turbo. Whoa, so it's the red not, one. Not five. Mm-hmm. Not five. Not 4.5. No, I, oh I think what, like the cost estimates on these things are ridiculous. Like just training time alone is six months. And that's wow. not just computer work, but like there's human work involved. It wow. takes time. Anyway, turbo. turbo. We had <laughs> turbo. 3.5 turbo, right, as well? Correct. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So uh, the lineage three was the big, big one. 3.5 came out. 3.5 Turbo is what powered Chat GPT. So that's kind of the important thing there. That's that's the one that really broke it into the mainstream. And then what? Sometime after that, GPT-4 came out. And now we have GPT-4 Turbo, which is bigger, better, whatever. Th- those things don't matter because what they actually worked on was improving developer um, support with it. Mm-hmm. And... That includes things like improving the pricing of it because it's kind of expensive. Um, uh, expensive, whatever. The rough numbers, oh boy, I hope I don't get this wrong, but I think it was something like one cent per thousand tokens or something like that. You can do the math, but you know, if, if you're just talking to it on a day-to-day basis, it's not going to cost you anything. It's not very much. But if you're an app developer uh, serving user requests to the API, then these numbers make important, important difference in your world because this is how much you charge your users, et cetera, et cetera. And you build your business around these numbers. And they went from, I believe, three cents per thousand to one cent per thousand. So a 3x decrease. Pretty awesome. Oh, wow. That's great. Yeah. Yeah. And then um, I believe that they went also for, um, so this in this world, everything's text, but it's not text. We turn it into tokens and you actually get billed by the tokens. And so it gets a little bit smaller. So like maybe a thousand word, uh, whatever, thousand characters turn into, who cares, 500 tokens. Well, they're making that better. Now maybe it turns into 300 tokens. So it's actually compressing your data more. Hmm. And I think they said with these things combined, it's something like a 6x price reduction because it's fewer tokens and the tokens are cheaper and it's a newer model. Wow. That's pretty cool. Uh, Okay. So price, that stuff is awesome. But importantly, they're also going to keep it up to date. (laughs) Uh, GPT-4 or 3, I forget which one, was notorious for its like knowledge of the world ended at September 2001, some just arbitrary date for their training data. Uh, the new one is caught up to something like April 2023. So it knows something about who has, has anything happened in 2022 and 2023, whatever. It knows whatever happened in those years. That's good. 
Any That's of those awesome. things interesting? Well, they did a bunch of developer stuff too that I want to get into, but any of that yeah. interesting? Well, I mean, I think that all makes a lot of sense to me as far as like as they're pushing it forward, right? I think like as you commoditize AI, you can't really make it more expensive. You know, I think it's sort of, well, I mean, you could. Uh, I mean, it's kind of like CPUs, right? There's like this curve and there's this, but then it's also sort of like, you know, consumer goods, you know, you look at iPhone, it continues to get faster and better, but the price basically tries to stay the same. But then they also have this other model. It's like a little bit cheaper type of scenario. So it's okay. What mode do you want to go? Do you want to go a hyper mode or this other mode? So I'd be very fascinated, right? It's like you kind of can pick your lever that you want. And Mm -hmm. I think this seems like maybe the route that they're going or so it sounds perhaps. Yeah. And the super cool thing is like GPT-4 and GPT-3 even got even cheaper. So they're like $0.003 per thousand because like the newest thing is established at this price. By the way, I forgot to lead with the most important part. Satya Nadella came out on stage and said hi. And that was cool. Oh, was that it? Just hello. Pretty much just said hello. Hello, I like AI. I think that's what he said. I love AI, guys. I love it. You love AI. I love AI. Everybody loves AI. I'm into AI. <laughs> That's, I'm, I'm into AI. You, you paraphrased it much better than I did. That's exactly what he said. <laughs> I, you know, a fun fact about the Donet Conf keynote, which you've watched already because mm-hmm. it already happened. The amazing with, keynote. Um, there's a reference sample application, which is synonymous in the .NET world, which is called eShop, eShop on containers. And there's a bunch <laughs> of eShop on web and all this other stuff, .NET architecture samples. And it's new updated eShop with a bunch of new cool stuff that was announced that Frank totally knows because he already watched it because it already happened. Oh, yeah. But My list the, cool part, the cool part about the eShop app is that the engineering team and teams like they wanted to reinvent it with all the new .NET 8 stuff that was announced and really cool new stuff that's coming out. And we want to redo the UI. So that meant recreating it. So it's, it's a, it's an eShop for a sort of a outdoor sporting goods kind of makes Pacific Northwest sense. It's called Northern mountains. Mm-hmm. And, uh, the cool part about it is that every single product name, description, image was all AI generated. Oh, interesting. Did you have an intern just sitting there at a prompt? Click, click, <laughs> click, or <laughs> whose job was that? I wonder that's fun. Yeah, I think it was, I don't exactly know how it came out as far as like the product and the styling of it, but I'm pretty yeah. sure it was prompting for like one the give me a list of all the stuff and all this other stuff. And then it was like generating all this stuff for it, but it's like a hundred <laughs> products all generated and it's pretty cool. Like, and what it generated was pretty awesome. I'm not going to lie about it. I'm, I'm, I'm pretty impressed. I'm not going to lie. Okay, so that's actually a great segue. So in terms of developer stuff, um, we actually had a request for an episode to do, and I, I, I want to get to it, which is someone's like, how do you actually build an app out of these things? Because they are so mm. weird. They're just these big text processors. Uh, on that note, um, like, so you're a developer and you want to try to use this to like solve different problems for the user and present interfaces. You want to get data out of the neural network in a format that you can actually interpret. And Mm -hmm. everyone, um, Jason, you know, just Jason, just have the neural network output some Jason. So in your case, you could have had it output a Jason list of products. And then you could have said here, given this Jason list of products, give me prompts for image generators uh, to do all that. But 
there are no guidelines saying exactly what text it should output. You could say, please give me some JSON, but it might put like a little blurb in the front. It might put like the three ticks for markdown in there. It's a text generator. It's random. You know, sometimes it's going to be crazy with its formatting. Well, uh, and there are solutions, different solutions to this problem in the open source world, but in the open AI world, they've announced from a developer's point of view, this is awesome. You can require that the neural network give you back uh, Java JSON, JavaScript. Oh, wow. And yeah. So in that way, you can reliably get back an object that you know you can parse and just interrogate with any programming language. So it's a small thing, but it's a big step in the road of actually making these useful to developers. That's awesome. I mean, I think that's super duper cool in general. And I, And again, I don't know exactly how it was all generated and how it was all coming out at the end of the day, but I do kind of like that prompting mechanism. And, and in fact, I even saw on Bing, for example, recently I tweeted it, it was like, you know, create a C-sharp application that does this thing, blah, 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 blah. But then in, in the, at the end of the day, I might want to keep talking to it and then have it actually create something like a CS project solution, right? Like, Hey, just check this into source yeah. code. That'd be pretty cool. Yeah, I've, I've been working on trying to like nurse them along the way. I'm like, here is a very vague app description. Generate me a more detailed app description. Okay, given this detailed app description, tell me what are the main pages of the app? Have it list those out. Okay, given these, given all of that, you know, this big buffer, um, now generate me every XAML file. Now generate me every CS file. Generate every HTML file needed to implement all those pages. And, you know, with the, the right prompting, you can actually get it to generate complete apps, smallish apps and things like that. But um, it still takes getting the output to be exactly what you want is still a trick. Um, this JSON thing is a good step forward for that. But. Yeah. We are still in the weird world of these are just text generators. <laughs> now, you said, though, also that they are doing something in and around an app store of some sort. Like, what is that about? Mm-hmm. Okay. So it the JSON thing is like one way to force that general network to give you some output. But what if you actually want to change its whole nature? Like this thing was always told through all its training that it's a helpful assistant and it's going to assist you. But what if you want it to be something else? What if you want it to be like a role-playing game? What if you want it to be like a text adventure game and it just generates like a story for you, an adventure for you? Uh, this is things we would call fine-tuning in the world. You would... Um, give it a new um, new set of data, a new way of acting, and from that data, train it up. You would fine-tune it. You wouldn't um, change all the network parameters. You would only change some. And so it would, try, it would behave in the way that you want it to behave. This is all trying to get it to behave <laughs> in a way that's useful to us. And what they've done is simplified that process and created kind of... Um, kind of a UI, a basic UI, to not fine-tune the model, but fine-tune the model. Um, so it will guide you through the process of you say, like, you just in very vague words say generally what you want the thing to do. And it will either ask you more questions and drill down or be more descriptive, 
or you can even just upload a bunch of files and be like, act like this, or here's some information to consume and things like that. Um, so it's not fine tuning, but it's almost, it's a very light, it's a lighter step on that. And they're calling these GPTs, plural, GPT, plural. GPT. Oh. Yes. So you, James, can go create a GPT. I can have a GPT. The cat can have a GPT. I could have two GPTs if I wanted to. And the idea is you do this, not fine tuning, but fine tuning of the network. Uh, and then you start selling those puppies. I, I, I sell to you Frank's GPT, which um, responds with a cat limerick at the end of everything. I don't know. <laughs> just some just some tuning of the model that does something interesting. They're calling them GPTs and they will have a store. So I, I need to start making some GPTs. Now, where exactly would these GPTs show up? Like in APIs or like inside of, because they have the things that are inside of chat GPT, but like these GPTs would be other GPTs that live somewhere? Yeah, so GPT has another integration point where it can contact services. Um, yeah. Right, so the the things that you see inside there are services that integrate with GPT. So it it, um, it looks for certain clues and then calls a web API or something to get further information and present that to you. These are different. Um, these could include that, but they don't have to. These are just more like a behavioral change to the model. Not, I think, yeah, I think that's the best way to think about it is you're just changing its kind of primary directive of how to behave when presented with you. Um, and these will be just in the app. Yeah, <laughs> um, probably. Um, we'll, we'll see about Apple's rule of no app stores in the app store. <laughs> so we'll see how that yeah. goes. But uh who knows? Maybe we'll buy all these things with coins. <laughs> so it sounds like you're excited overall then. I I am. Um, honestly, just because I want to go create some GPTs. I, I want to nice. have fun with that. And see, nice. because I, I think the, you know, um, these neural networks are great as oracles, as the new Wikipedia. If you have a question, <laughs> yeah. just ask it. Um, but they can do such much more hilarious stuff if you can just prod them, if you prompt engineer them into doing more interesting things. And it's fun to get them to do much more interesting things than just being a know-it-all database. I like that. I like that. Uh, well, I'm excited. I might want to go back and rewatch or at least watch the, oh, this happened, you know, five minute overview type of thing. <laughs> I think I just got it. So I don't think I have to anymore, Frank. So thank you for breaking it down. Now, uh, one final question is, what do you, what do you code these GPTs in? Unclear. Um, oh. but I will say they said, uh, they are available to programmers, but they have, um, an, uh, an app builder UI, a, a web UI to build one hmm. without doing any coding. So the unclear part is, um, what coding can you do? <laughs> it's, it's not all together. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I'm sure you can have it shell out to services like I mentioned before. So if you're Expedia or whatever, you can go look up flights or things like that. That makes sense. Mm -hmm. All right. Last quick one here. Three topics today. Um, question from our Twitter. You can reach, reach at us at uh, x.com forward slash at Merge Conflict FM or twitter.com forward slash Merge Conflict FM or just Merge Conflict FM. There's buttons on there to do stuff. Um, this is very fascinating because 
uh, Brad reached out and he said, uh, on and let's see, uh, this is a threat. This is a threat, but oh, there's a whole thing. Yes. Christian, who then Brad subtweeted and replied to. So Christian, uh, reached out and was like, Hey, um, what I just tweeted randomly was like, Mm -hmm. Hey, uh, Google is now requiring developers to basically authenticate the wrap if they're a business. There's a whole bunch of things. Um, it says Google announced, well, this other person said there's a few different things. Google has announced that developers with newly created personal play accounts will soon have to require to test their apps with at least 20 people for a minimum of two weeks before applying for access to production. More specifically, Google says developers with personal accounts created after November 13th have to run a closed test for their app with 20 users for 14 days continuously, et cetera, et cetera. That's wild. But additionally, I have a business account on it. This is the ensuring high quality apps on Google Play. Google also is now requiring that businesses uh, verify themselves. This is something you have to do on Apple as well, developer accounts today. Um, So you have to say if you're a personal account or organizational account, I'm an organizational account with my LLC over here. Christian, Brad stepped in, has a whole thing about creating a business entity on this stuff. Brad says, on an early episode of Merge Conflict, I think uh, one of the pieces as advice was not to bother with personal developer accounts. Make an LLC, get an ABN, uh, makes a lot of ease, a lot of a lot easier in the future. So I want to kind of follow up on this. This is a little confusing. LLC, ABNs, EA, EANs, mm-hmm. DUNS numbers, they're all different. But let me yeah. clear this up. You don't get an ABN number for creating a sole proprietorship LLC. Um, I have an LLC, um, which is I'm a sole proprietor. LLC. One, I'm not a lawyer. I'm not a, a business entrepreneur. Take read all your due diligence, just like financial advice. <laughs> do all this stuff. Uh, I have an LLC. The reason I have an LLC is because I create apps and I have a business name that I've registered um, with the state in which I live. Or if you have moved states, you can have a foreign entity um, that redirects to the one that you created it in. So let's say, for example, Frank lives in Washington. He has an LLC in the state of Washington. Frank moves to Florida, Frank can create a foreign entity in Florida, pointing back to his entity in Washington. He now has to pay twice, but that means he doesn't have to reset up his entity in Florida, basically. It's very fascinating. Foreign entities, they're great. Mm -hmm. And then also, you don't want that to be pointing to your home address because it's an LLC. So you actually get um, an in-between company that has a business address and will forward mail to you. It's a whole thing. Anyways, LLC limited liability company. The whole reason you get an LLC is if for some reason someone sues you, they're not suing you, suing your company, right? (laughs) Now, granted, you are your company, but your company is the front of the business, right? In general. So I have a separate business checking account. There's business checking accounts that you can get on there. And then there is something else though, whether whether you have an LLC or other things, and Frank can talk about what he has specifically, there's something called a DUNS number, the Dun, what is it? Uh, Duns and Bradstreet number. Ugh. We did a whole episode on Duns number. They're stupid, but basically Duns and Bradford, uh, it's just an <laughs> in-between intermediate that verifies businesses and gives them a unique identifier because you could have an LLC, you could have a, you can, you can have a, a C, an S corp, you could have a C corp, all these different things, right? The Duns number brings that together that allows you to have like one searchable database 
that's out there. So I have an LLC. Now the LLC, since you're a sole proprietorship, right? Your business doesn't file taxes. You file taxes because it's you. You are the company, even though there's a front to the company, right? So that's important aspect as well. So you don't get an EAN number, um, which would be if you had a, a like a, a S corp or a C corp or a corporation. Nope. That's a business account in which you have a number, right? Am I wrong? You you were so good up to there. Everything was perfect. Everything was. Well, that's because I don't have one. I have an LLC, so I don't have to worry about it. So that's Frank will tell true. you all about the <laughs> business corp side of it. Go for it. Um, oh, thanks for that. Um, no, we'll yeah. just talk about the EIN then, real quick. In EIN, America, in the U- EAN, yes, EIN, in, the, in the USA, yeah. US of A. Yes, that's your employer identification number. That's only yeah. if you have employees. So yes. the moment you hire an employee, you will have to go get an EIN, and that becomes huh. what you file your taxes under. You can request one without employees also. I did that. Um, I got employees quickly, but um, sometimes you just want an EIN just so you're um, so you have the pleasure of filing multiple tax returns, the, the real yeah. glory and real prize of it all. Yeah. Um, and I do recommend everyone, if you're an app developer out there, don't do a personal account. Do, do go get an LLC in the United States. You can mostly just do it online. You pay them like a mm-hmm. hundred bucks and you have a company every year, go click a few more buttons and your company will be in good standing. And so then the only thing you have to deal with is taxes <laughs> and I won't advise you there, but sole proprietor is nice and simple. Keeps, keeps your personal taxes in line with it. Um, yeah, just do it. It's, it's not that big a deal. And you get to have a fun party trying to come up with a fun name for your fun company. Uh, I am sad that Google's doing all this verification. So rewinding all the way back to the beginning there, because speaking of the Duns number, um, anytime you change address, you gotta go update your Duns database because being a third party, it is completely random where they get their information so even if you have a business, go check your Dunn's information. You'd be surprised mm. what random junk that they they start posting as the truth there. Um, yeah. And then if you're on Apple, if you do an address change, you actually got to go through a whole process and everything. Something I still haven't done, embarrassingly enough. I should get on that. <laughs> it's true. Yeah. So there's a few things that we had talked about, sort of hackish, sort of little workarounds too. Like there are like business boxes you can get. I don't know. There's the whole thing. Um, But one of the things that you most likely want to do is actually get a registered agent. That would be the thing that you want to look at uh, in general. So uh, for example, um, there is the place where mail gets sent or things get sent. And ideally it's not your house information, right? So this is also the important aspect of it. Well, because people could just look up your LLC and then they've doxed you, right? But Right. That I, I just wanted to say that's the whole reason. Otherwise, it's very convenient to have it at your house. If you don't mind being doxed, it's very convenient yes. to have it brought to your house. <laughs> a, a registered agent, on the other hand, which you can then pay money for, <laughs> as well, everyone makes money, <laughs> is a, literally uh, an office that all they mm-hmm. do is say, yes, the business yeah. resides here basically. Yeah. And the, and then it routes, and then you tell them your home address and they route mail yeah. to 
to you if accordingly, basically. So and even better hack than that is if you have an accountant or anyone else, just be like, hey, can I use your business address as my mailing address? Yeah. And then slip them a couple bucks every month. Totally. So there's all those different aspects of it. But yeah, I totally agree. And if you have a a, a personal account now, you can change it over. It's all there. Now, the, there's, there's something different, though, is remember on Apple, though, there's actually three different types of accounts. There's personal, then there's this personal and yet you're a business and then there's enterprise those are the enterprise mm-hmm. is a different thing on apple i only pay 99 dollars a year i don't pay the whatever yeah. extra fee as an enterprise so i'm not an enterprise but you can register as an organization under the name so that's where you see refractor or you see i guess yours is just uh, kruger systems right so yep yeah yep, yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep, same org for decades now, it feels like. Um, yeah. Somehow it's still survived all their account transfers. And LLCs are fun in some states. Like when I had set up mine originally in Arizona, um, and I let that one expire, basically just don't renew mm. it, and then it goes away. Um, you had to get, uh, I don't know if Washington did this too, it was a while ago since I did it in Washington, but um, I, you have to get your business published in a newspaper that oh, you were reg- that you were created no. entity Jeez. so there's literally newspapers oh in arizona God. that all they do have a section of this but then it's cool is that they're like the nicest people in the world and then they send you like the the issue where it's like refractor yeah. llc like creation oh. date blah, blah, blah. it was cute i was like wow they sent cute. me the issue yeah that was cool okay i, so, I created an llc two years ago I, I, they're like web domains. I love collecting companies. I've been starting companies my whole life. Anyway, I started yeah. one two years ago and they did not make me publish in a newspaper. Oh my gosh. That is so <laughs> yeah. weird. That was cool. Uh, and then additionally, uh, fun fact is like, you know, for your LLC, you could have multiple LLCs, like you're saying, uh, Frank, because at the same time, your LLC should be a specific business or, or kind of technology scene. So my web presence of mobile development. So like this podcast, the YouTube and like my apps that I ship are all under refractor because it's like a brand like refractored ships, mobile, blah, blah, blah. Right. But if I start a coffee company, I can't just put that under refractor. You know what I mean? There's got to be its own coffee LLC. It's got to be separate entity in general. I don't know where the lineage is if like it should be super granular, but I'm not a lawyer. So ask a lawyer, I guess. The annoying thing on Apple is they conflate brands with um, government-recognized organizations, tax Mm. corporations. So me as Kruger Systems, if I want to publish anything um, in every app I release, there's a little Kruger Systems part that shows my other apps, which is good. You know, collect them all, buy all my apps. (laughs) I want you to do all that. But let's say I want to put an app there that is crazy and wild, and I don't want it as a part of that set. I want it as a part of a different brand or something like that. Then you got to go start another business, basically, because Apple's back end cannot handle that. They cannot handle one business having multiple organizations. Yeah, pretty sure they can't. So that that's another reason to go spend a hundred dollars a year on an LLC. Yeah, got to do it. Go check it out. There's all the things. Ask a lawyer. But you're right. Like uh, there are services that will do it like from start to finish for you. But every state is different. Um, and some states are like really, really, really easy just to do it yourself. Save yourself no. some money online. 
It's super simple. 20 years ago, it was a pain in the... Okay, even 20 years ago, it was like fill out three forms, put them in an envelope and put in the mail. No big deal. Um, But nowadays, like everyone's just online. Um, Yeah. Those... I meant those services did have a purpose back in the day. And if you're doing like a full corporation, they're sometimes still worth it because LLCs are simple for an S corporation. Like I have, you might want to actually hire someone to do it all for you, which is what I did. Um, But an LLC, I say, just find the website and just do it. Yeah. Don't, don't lie on the forms. (laughs) Yes. And you know, like LegalZoom, for example, has a great breakdown if you're interested in LLC versus S Corp versus C Corp uh, versus sole proprietorship, which an LLC is a sole, also a sole proprietorship. So there's like there's members that can be on an LLC. There's multiple LLC types, but sole proprietorship LLC is like what most people will have. It's super simple. But yeah, if you want, are interested in the other ones, give them a look. Um, I just use it like their advice. I don't actually use LegalZoom nor are they endorsed by this podcast. However... Yeah, it's nice. And just like, here it is, right? And just boom, here it is, you know. Um, so so kind of good to know if you're interested in those additional things. But yes, thank you for, mm-hmm. for clarifying the EIN. I totally forgot that that's totally one of those reasons in general. Yeah. So give it a go. Business. Um, business. <laughs> um, that's it. All right, cool. Thanks, everyone, for tuning in this week's podcast. Let us know what you thought of Donet Conf and all the amazing announcements at the keynote. That was super awesome and how it was. Right in the show at mergeconflict.fm or hit us up on Twitter at James Montemagno at Proclaim. That's going to do it for this week's podcast. Until next time, I'm James Montemagno. And I'm Frank Krueger. Thanks for watching and listening. Peace. Peace.